Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Today, we will be playing some of our favorite conversations from the fall of 2020. We begin with a conversation about suffering, and we learn about the In the Thicket podcast. And then we meet singer-songwriter Thomas Mulia. In our second half hour, we speak with the Pope's biographer, Austin Ivory, who collaborated with him on his COVID-19 book, Let Us Dream, written during the pandemic. At the end of the program, we will meet singer-songwriter Hannah Schaefer. Let's begin now with a podcast about suffering. St. John of the Cross wrote, The soul that longs for divine wisdom chooses first, and in truth, to enter the thicket of the cross. That quote is what has inspired the In the Thicket podcast, a podcast that is for those who suffer, which is everyone. In the Thicket <laughs> is hosted by Rachel D'Souza, Aaron Kinsella, and Nicole Richard. They also have a secret prayer warrior who likes to remain unknown um, or anonymous. Uh, but all four of them are a group of friends who have supported each other through various ups and downs in life. Um, the podcast is all about suffering. It's really a space where they can speak honestly about some of the more difficult things in life, but they do so without losing sight of hope and humor. And so to tell us more, I'm very, very, very excited to welcome uh, Aaron, Nicole, and Rachel to the Salt and Light Hour. Welcome. Good day, sir. (laughs) So fun. I don't think I've ever had three people in with me at the same time. It's very podcasty. Exciting. Yeah, it totally is. (laughs) So um, why, why a podcast on suffering? Um, yeah, that's a great question. (laughs) Um, so this is actually an idea that I was sitting on for a long time because of maybe some personal experiences, um, that I realized uh, when I was living through kind of painful things in my life, um, I would go to Catholic conferences, which provided a lot of hope and, 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 you know, um, information in lots of ways, but a lot of people there were talking about suffering from a place where they had already overcome whatever it was mm-hmm. that they were going through. And, which is great to know that, you know, that's possible, but sometimes when you're going through it, you just want to hear from somebody who is maybe also going through it or can, can speak into that experience in a very real way. And I couldn't find that in a lot of places, at least like an authentic sort of vulnerable expression of that. So it was sort of on my heart from my own needs. Um, And then I found in my conversation with these ladies in our, in our sort of small group and friendship that we were having these kinds of conversations. And I thought, you know, it would be really good to create a space. Yeah. And that makes sense because, I mean, and I, maybe you can you can correct me if I'm wrong, but because you're the expert on suffering, can I say? That? I mean, we don't we don't look for suffering, but we don't we know that suffering is just part of uh, part of sometimes what we're called to do. I mean, Jesus mm-hmm. himself didn't shy away from suffering. Um, right. and, and and I should say that that was Rachel speaking. So you might have to identify yourself because you all sound <laughs> right. the same. Um, why Saint John of the Cross? Yeah, this is a great question. So this is Aaron speaking. Um, And actually, when we were talking about the idea for this, there was this quote that came up, this this, um, thing kind of sprung to mind for me, because I've loved John of the Cross for a while. And it's the second reading on his feast day, which is December 14th. Mm. Um, And so it's the second reading from the Office of Readings. And it is such a beautiful quote, but it's 
just the reminder that that life with Christ is beautiful and joyful, but also sometimes we kind of forget about the cross part or <laughs> the suffering part of things, or yeah. like we long for the goodness, we long for the peace, we long for the joy and all of those things. But, but we, we kind of can try and skip out on over suffering. Um, but yeah. it's the beauty of that quote, I think is just him really reminding us that, uh, that Christ is in the suffering and that, that it is a part of life, regardless of whether we run from it or not. So, so being able to kind of look at it in, in a way of hope was important. Yeah. Would you say, I mean, it is a part of life. And like I said, I don't think we need to go and look for suffering, but Mm-mm. it do, do we need to go through the suffering? I mean, to go through the cross to get to the, you know, Easter Sunday. I mean, isn't that what it's all about? Exactly. Well, then I think that's um, one of our upcoming episodes, actually. This is Nicole speaking now. (laughs) (laughs) One of our upcoming episodes uh, where we talk about uh, another another quote, actually, from John of the Cross, where he talks about... um, that to, to, to get in, and I guys have to correct me on the quote if I, if I mess it up, but uh, basically to, to, to get to um, the promised land, as it were, you know, the place where we have the fulfillment of all of our desires, we have to cross the river of suffering um, with the boat of love. So this is, it's not, it's not an option. This is, it's like you say, we don't have to look for suffering. It's just going to be a part of life. Mm-hmm. Um, but through, through the love of God and through allowing ourselves to be, um, wrapped up in that, that takes us, that can take us across this journey um, of suffering. And so, but yeah, just that it is, it's going to happen. So, yeah. (laughs) So, so you guys uh, sit around once a week for an hour uh, talking about topics that have to do some somehow with, with suffering. Sometimes you have guests Um, it's all recorded on video as well. So people can watch the video. What sorts of topics then would you, would you cover? Like, it's not all just like today, we're going to talk about suffering. So like, what, (laughs) what do you, what what are some Um, examples of, of topics that you've done that you've covered? Yeah. So we've done, um, so interviews with different people who've gone through really difficult health stuff, um, so folks who've been through sort of unknown illnesses or cancer um, and just how they, their experience of that. We also did an interview, um, well, we've had a couple interviews on the, the topic of accompanying people in suffering. Mm-hmm. So what, how can we walk with people who are suffering in a way that um, is helpful uh, and, and meaningful and, and sort of respecting boundaries and also right. not being too pushy about what we think will help, but just being able to be present with people. Um, we have upcoming episodes on suffering and mental health. Uh, we're gonna have we're gonna have an episode called 2020 because you know. <laughs> so, no explanation yeah. necessary. Yeah, no, you know, because yeah, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, suffering in marriage, and right. um, we want to talk about like pornography and just kind of everything. There's, I mean, mm. there's you re- once you start once you start a podcast on suffering, you realize it's everywhere. And <laughs> it, you know, it is, yeah. yeah. And you know what? I mean, not to kind of toot my own horn, but I have a my weekly blog post and my whole Advent Christmas reflection, and I'm doing I have seven a series of seven, and it's all about what we call the voice of illness. So that's the voice mm. inside each one of us that cries, "Where is God?" So it's not mm. necessarily physical suffering but everybody is has that that longing for god that we all have and that is suffering and how we as i guess as fellow christians need to mm-hmm. be be sensitive to that to that voice yeah. and and to walk with people um what is your hope then for this i was going to ask you who is it for but clearly it's for everybody mm. <laughs> but yeah. what is your hope is it 
to to accompany people that might be struggling and and knowing that they are not struggling alone or is it what is it what is your hope for the for for the listeners and for the podcast yeah, I think, um, I mean, obviously we are hilarious. So <laughs> the uh, part of the hope is that, <laughs> you know, that people can, that we can realize that actually suffering does not have to, um, it can exist with joy. So kind of in a twofold sense, one is this isolation that I think sometimes, sometimes we feel like we have to be like perfect or good, or you go into a, cha- a, mm-hmm. a parish and everybody's like, how are you? Oh, good. The Lord is just blessing me today. Like, that's beautiful. But what happens? like what if somebody is suffering and broken and wounded and they walk into a parish and nobody there is suffering and broken and wounded even though they all are suffering Mm -hmm. and broken and wounded like who nobody belongs there so um so it's kind of to to counter that isolation that we can feel in suffering but then also from a second perspective um it i think it really is true that we live in a culture that encourages us to run from suffering in every way that we can but there is something very powerful about a christian who suffers well where there is mm-hmm. joy and patience and perseverance and hope in the midst of suffering that can speak into our culture right now in a way that nothing else can so i think that's also part of the hope as well as it is that we'll all be able to learn how to suffer well mm-hmm. yeah that's beautiful um that's actually really beautiful. I've never really thought about it that way. I, because I, yeah, I know that we're 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 called to remember that we don't suffer alone. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know that Sarah Kroger has a song "Run to the Cross," and I always think I don't want to run to the cross. I want to run away from the cross. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we yeah. talk about that a lot too. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, but and you know, and and you know, God never explains to Job why they're suffering. It's like, yeah. yeah, it's like, why, why? Well, right. I'm not going to answer why. I'm going to answer who. I am God, period. Right. He just says, trust me. Just, yeah. Right? And, I, and yeah. I suffer with you. I mean, I think that that's, yeah. that's it. So we're not, we're not mm-hmm. alone. Um, yeah. Ladies, thank you. This has been really cool. I'm very excited to have the competition with another podcast. Um, <laughs> um, but it sounds like you have a lot more fun than I do. So maybe I, I'm going to have to join you in the thicket. Yeah, um, that'd be awesome. Um, that will be well, fun. Well, let us know if you suffer sometime and then we can have more. <laughs> That's, <laughs> right. Yeah, like That's every right. Every day. Yeah. Um, uh, thank you for doing, for doing what you're doing. I, I know it's helping a lot of people and hopefully we're going to be able to have more people find in the thicket and they can join you in the thicket of the cross. Amen. <laughs> yes. Thanks All so right. much, Deacon good. Pedro. Take care. It's good to see you. Good to hear you. Good to see you too. Aaron Kinsella, Rachel D'Souza, and Nicole Richard. They are the hosts of In the Thicket. You can listen to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts and also on YouTube, as I said, because you can see all the videos. Um, and just look for the, the handle at In the Thicket Podcast and you should be able to find it there. Here now is Thomas Mulia with Litany of Humility from his album, The Return. From my desire to be loved From my desire to be extolled From my desire to be honored From my desire to be praised From my desire to be preferred to From my desire to be consulted From my desire to be approved 
That was Thomas Mulia with Litany of Humility from his album, The Return. Now, I hate to introduce someone by mentioning that they are related to this person or that other person, but I think that with our featured artists today, it's important to say that his dad, Chris Mulia, was also featured on this program a few years ago. So it's kind of neat to have Thomas Mulia with us today. When Thomas is not writing music or studying music, um, he spends most of his time at the Newman Center at Arizona State University, leading music at mass, worship nights, and other events. Uh, Thomas released his debut album, The Return, in February 2019. And I think it's fair to say from the songs that we've heard that his music is prayerful and heartfelt and, and very well produced. And so I'm very, very happy to welcome Thomas Muglia to the Salt and Light Hour. Thomas, welcome. Welcome. It's good to meet you. Good to be here today. And I guess, I, I mean, are you getting to spend time at the Newman Center or with the, with, are things locked down and everything done uh, online? Like how's schooling going? Um, you know, I, technically I graduated. Okay. <laughs> That's good. This semester, technically. Okay. Semester, so I, I feel like I got out at the perfect time. Yeah. Um, and okay. I'm still at the Newman Center. Um, and when all of this happened, the, you know, the COVID shutdowns, I kind of became the uh, streaming guy. So that was fun. So honestly, I'm there more than I ever was. Um, and it's, it's good. You know, things are going well. I'm, I'm lucky to be busy right now. Um, good. And I'm still doing music at the Newman Center. And so now that you've graduated, so you, 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 you were studying music, you have a music degree? I do. Yeah. Yeah. Good. And what's your hopes? What do you want to do with that? Well, I went in not, not knowing for sure if I was going to be teaching or not when mm -hmm. I graduated, but I, I wanted those skills um, more than I wanted the skills of a business degree. I started in right. business and ended up switching over to music um, just to get music theory and conducting. And I, I loved choir. I was a big choir nerd in high school. Uh -huh. But, you know, through my time in college, I really started to fall in love with the church and with ministry 
uh, campus ministry in particular. And through all of that time, I was doing the music at the Newman Center. And so I'm going to run with that. I'm going to go uh-huh. into ministry. And it's, it's a tough time to, to launch something like that or to, you know, start off on that direction because we can't meet in person. But um, yeah, that's, that's the plan. Right. Okay. Well, t- tell me a little bit more about that. Cause I mean, I'm assuming obviously you grew up Catholic in a Catholic home with a dad that was already doing, you know, the Catholic music thing. Um, but you're saying that you kind of found a deeper love for the church now in college. So mm-hmm. what was growing up like, what were you thinking as a teenager playing your, you know, guitar? What were you thinking? Well, I see, I grew up around, um, what I want to do. And so it's really interesting that I, I didn't always want to do it. Uh huh. I, I grew up playing with my dad at a lot of things and, and it was great. It was, it was good. And, um, I was really blessed to have the family I have and the parents I have, and I had a really just stable childhood, but I think, you know, whether you're raised Catholic or not, or Christian, whatever it be, you mm-hmm. still have use Christ eventually there still comes a day when when you have to make that choice maybe it's not like a um a huge life-altering moment but yeah yeah, yeah. for me it was when I moved out and saw that you know I was kind of in ownership of my decisions um I moved into a community called St. Paul's Outreach I don't know if you've heard of them um really awesome nationwide uh, community and there's a lot of chapters at different schools. So I moved into a men's house um, run by St. Paul's outreach on ASU's campus. Mm-hmm. And so you guys are all Catholic and the mission is you go out and evangelize on campus. And okay. I moved into that um, kind of just out of sheer grace. I don't really know why I chose to do that, <laughs> um, but it was kind of like, Hey, I think I might need this to stay right. Interesting. That's where it all started. Okay. Yeah. And that makes sense because that's the kind of experience that would sort of um, strengthen, strengthen your faith or give you a real different experience of church um, and, and ministry. Um, Cause a lot of people in college, you know, they might be getting involved with focus or, or, or have other experiences like that, but, and the Newman center does provide that. So, so that makes sense. Were you, I mean, I'm assuming you were already writing music as a, as, as a teenager, as a, as a kid. I was, yeah. Um, this is kind of an interesting little side story. I in high school, I was writing a lot of music. Yeah. Um, and I ended up auditioning for American Idol, and I got on the show. And there was like this little three week window where it kind of looked like that was what I was going to be doing. I had to like leave school for a little bit. Wow. And then. You know, it didn't work out, but I, I started picking up all of these gigs around town mm-hmm. at bars and restaurants. And so I just did the singer-songwriter thing for a while, and I wanted to write, like, John Mayer songs, basically. That was... Okay. Okay, because that was going to be my next question. Were you, what kind of music were you writing? When did you start writing music that, would, that you would call Christian music? So I started writing music. I wrote... I don't know. I don't know if you can count these, but I wrote some songs with my dad when I was like, I don't know, 10. Yeah. Okay. And so it was kind of always there. It was always something I 
I knew about and experimented with. I started taking it seriously in high school and those were all pop songs and I would perform them at the gigs. And then yeah. um, in college, when I was leading music at the Newman Center, um, I was really interested in a, a certain kind of song. Um, I was just taking notice of the stuff that I was using in the liturgy and um, the stuff we used for worship. And I really just came to a point where I was like, hey, I'm, I'm just going to start writing some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have more options and um, I can express a little bit of, of what the kind of music I want to hear is. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's good stuff. It's the kind of music I'd like to hear too. Um, did you, did you find then, it, and when you started thinking about recording or, or I guess what compiling, what ended up being becoming your first album, the return, um, was that because you just had enough songs? It's like, Oh, I should make an album. Or were you actually consciously thinking uh, I'm, I'm writing music for a specific album? Um, it kind of, it kind of took that turn after I had five or six songs. I was like, mm-hmm. Hey, I something with this. Uh, but it started out as, you know, in St. Paul's outreach, um, it's all about, uh, community mission and, and holiness. Those are like the, the three pillars. So we do a lot of worship. It's, it's kind of a charismatic community. Uh, we do a lot of worship within our own house. It's just the 10 of us and we just. Nice. Um, it kind of started with like, I want to write some songs that could be used for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and granted, not all of my songs are like congregational uh, right. songs, but that's how it started was just, I want to use these to, to worship. Yeah. And then um, it eventually came to the point where I started collecting enough of them. I said, Hey, I'm going to take this winter break and go record them. Not really thinking it was going to be like a CD type thing, but. Mm-hmm. Right. No, that's good. And I guess you're thinking of doing that again. Are you already working on, on the next album or are you thinking yeah. of, yeah. 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 Good. And, and I guess it sounds like you really enjoy leading worship and that that's something where your heart is. Um, so you, you're going to pursue this sort of, catholic evangelizer singer songwriter career wherever yeah however it uh takes shape i'm i'm not quite sure yet um especially with covid but you know yeah. it, that's that's a very covid is a very humbling thing it is um, it is especially for the church we we need to still reach people and um we just can't gather yeah so yeah i'm trying to you know we're all trying to find new ways to do that. So right now I'm just kind of um, taking the time to write and, and pray and I live good. with some guys. So it's good. Yeah. Good. sounds like it. Um, Thomas, uh, it's been so, so good to, to meet you. I want to thank Tom Booth for actually introducing me to you. Uh, good old Tom Booth. Um, but I'm also uh, thankful to your dad. Say hello to him. Um yeah uh thank you for 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 what you're doing um i look forward to hearing more music from you because it's it's really good um and that uh we can uh, uh stay in touch and see each other again yeah for sure all right thomas mulia you can learn more about him and purchase his album the return at his website thomasmulia.com and it's mulia m u g l i a 
thomasmulia.com. I'm going to put that link on our site so you can find it easily. Here now is Thomas Mulia with Let Us Adore Him from his album, The Return. Listening to Thomas Mulia with Let Us Adore Him from his album The Return. This is a special best of edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Check us out at slmedia.org slash podcast. Welcome to the Salt and Light Hour Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. You wonder what Pope Francis was doing all summer when the world was taking a breather between the first and second waves of COVID-19? He was writing a book. In the crisis, the Pope saw many evils of our society more vividly exposed. At the same time, he saw in the resilience, generosity, and creativity of so many people the means to rescue our society, our economy, and our planet. Together with his biographer, Austin Ivory, Pope Francis outlines in his book, Let Us Dream, the way forward, the path to a better future. I have to say that I think that this is a must-read for Catholics and non-Catholics alike, for Francis lovers and haters alike. Let Us Dream is like a personal conversation with our Holy Father in which he explains what's important to him and what principles drive his papacy. To learn more, earlier this week, I spoke with Austin Ivory from his home in the UK. Austin, it's so good to have you back in the program. Welcome. Welcome to the Thanks, Pedro. Good to be back. So um, how did this book come about? Um, how was it written? It really comes out of Easter and lockdown. Uh, when you remember Pope Francis appears in St. Peter's Square on March the 27th as a kind of Moses guiding us through this dark night of 
COVID. Yes. And then yeah. Easter, where he's uh, really doing this very uh, powerful stuff about you know, where is God in it all. And mm. the fact that he set up a post-COVID commission in the Vatican, all of this led me to believe that he was really um, seeing this crisis in a very, very deep way. And I felt that we needed to hear more from him and that humanity in, at large needed to hear from him, particularly not just, as it were, the church or people who would normally listen to the Pope. So in April, I suggested it to him and I said, you know, how about it? <laughs> and uh, he said, uh, yes, but I'm going to need a lot of help from you, for which I took for which I took to mean that, you know, we weren't going to be able to sit down together. We were both in right. lockdown. And that, well, I would be involved quite a lot in the in the putting it together. So even though it's very much his book, uh, you know, it has a it has a role from me as if so, you like a te technical support. Right. So but he's the author. He wrote it. It's his words is not Austin Ivory. Well, he, he's the author in the sense that everything in there is his. It's his ideas. Um, even when I helped to draft it, I was drawing mm -hmm. on things that he had said and written. So, uh, and he then would then revise the text. So, I mean, it's absolutely his uh, his text. Uh, but uh, I was, you know, he he trusted me and uh, and gave me the yes. freedom to help him put it together, which was an enormous uh, compliment. And, and it is, it is. He does trust you. Um, I, I was reading it and I was thinking. How is this it's a book? How is it different than an encyclical or an apostolic exhortation? He's saying a lot of the same things that he said in other documents. So what would you answer? How would you answer that question? How is well, it different? So one of the advantages of a, let's just call it a papal book. I mean, there really isn't a proper term for it, but it's a book that popes have done really mm -hmm. since uh, St. John Paul II yeah, sat down with the journalist and done a question and answer. And it's a different, I mean, obviously the Pope is still teaching. He's always teaching uh, because he's reflecting on the gospel and, 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 and every, but it's a different kind of a genre. It doesn't pass through the right. Vatican channels. It's not solemn authoritative teaching right. and the Pope himself can afford to be personal, intimate, informal. Uh, and so in that sense, it's uh, papal teaching, but it's a much more relaxed and personal kind of format. In this case, it's even more so because actually it's not an interview and that's just the way mm -hmm. things worked out. In it, the Pope addresses the reader directly. So even though it's called In Conversation with Austin Ivory, in fact, there is no conversation. No. There's not a question and an answer. Yeah, you're right. It didn't feel like a conversation, but it did feel very personal, um, especially when he reveals some very personal things about his own experiences. Um, can we just quickly talk about how the book is organized in those three sections? Explain that. So there is a very uh, well-known, as it were, Latin American method yeah. of looking at reality, which is used particularly uh, in social justice questions. You know, well, what do we do about this? So it's called See, Judge, Act. And it comes, in fact, from originally from the Belgian uh, cardinal mm -hmm. of the 1920s, Joseph Cardine. But Latin America has really taken it on. Um, and Francis has kind of reformulated a bit as contemplate, discern, propose. But whatever, however you call it, it's the same idea. You begin by looking at reality with the eyes of the disciple. So you look particularly at pain and, and, and suffering and where is, where mm -hmm. is God, where is Christ speaking to us from the margins. And then the discernment comes really from saying, well, where is God in this? Where is the Holy Spirit acting? Mm -hmm. And where conversely is the enemy of human nature seeking to undermine that? And then with that clarity, you can then implement proposals for action, which help action. to take forward, as it were, the kingdom of God. So that's the method that that's often employed in Latin American uh, church documents, which the Pope has himself employed a number of times. And so then he's specifically taking that method and looking at specifically the COVID experience, seeing the COVID experience, discerning through it, and then seeing where we move from it. 
The way I put it is that COVID is the moment that he's addressing. In fact, this is the first time a Pope has ever written a book mm -hmm. in response to a crisis in humanity. Mm -hmm. So he's saying this is a moment in history, but it's not just about the COVID crisis in the sense that he sees the coronavirus crisis as revealing of all the other crises that we are also going through, but perhaps we haven't wanted to see or to speak about, just to give you an example, uh, the ecological crisis, mm -hmm. the crisis in our economy with inequality, the alienation of people from politics, um, uh, arms trafficking, child hunger. Uh, in other words, where the world is crying out because mm -hmm. of the way we have organized things. The coronavirus is a clarifying moment in that it helps to reveal those things. And it also accelerates a number of changes which were already underway. Right. And it also allows us the opportunity for what he calls that stoppage, or even, I think he even says we, we need a jubilee. So, so the, the pandemic gives us that, that time to discern. Um, um, he says a lot of things that he says in Laudato Si, in, in Querida Amazonia, and a lot of, you know, a lot of the economic, his economic ideas or ideas about, you know, the church's social teaching. But he brings up uh, a fascinating, for me, idea uh, that it comes from his studies on, on Romano Guardini uh, about forging that unity from tension in a way that makes differences fruitful. And I think that for a lot of people, that's very difficult to understand. Can you try to explain that to us sure. in a simple I mean, way? I, I think there are two areas of his thinking, which I, I think really are deeply him, and which in this book I invited him to say, you know, well, I think these are two areas where we need to hear more from you and we need to, you know, you, I'm not sure that we ever really understood what you mean by these two things. Mm -hmm. um, one of them is is part three, which is his idea of what it means to have a genuine politics of the people. Oh, yes. And in part two, which I'm sure we'll get to, but in part two, which is the discernment uh, part, um, he's really talking about the paralysis of our polarization and how we can move through that, how we can live with difference and tension. So the, the background to this uh, is, of course, we live in a time of, one doesn't want to say unprecedented, but certainly in recent decades, unprecedented uh, division, where socially and in the church, we are just deeply divided tribally. Mm -hmm. And so what I'm inviting him to do, what he's doing in, in, in the book, is drawing on his own studies of uh, theologian called Romano Guardini, who published quite an obscure book back in the 1920s, which became the subject of uh, of the Pope of Jorge Mario Bergoglio's thesis. Mm -hmm. And it is actually on how we can uh, uh, bring tensions, what are called polar opposites, into tension with each other, hold them in tension without letting them fall into contradiction, and, and then somehow allow then, by holding them in tension, allow the Holy Spirit in to create a kind of a resolution of, of the tension, which is beyond both, but which somehow includes them. Now, when I try and put it like this, it sounds like, you know, some sort of abstruse Hegelian philosophy. In fact, it's, he's applied this himself constantly throughout his life, and he applies it to the governance of the church. So what yeah, that means yeah. is that people who often disagree strongly, he believes they can be brought together and by walking together, learning to listen to each other and understand each other, not trying to resolve the conflict, but having, as it were, the respect of listening, that in itself allows the Holy Spirit into the process. Yeah, I, I was I was going to ask you whether that that if you felt that that was a, a driving principle in his papacy, it's certainly behind the changes that he's made to the synodal process, um, and and he talks about dialogue a lot, but this is beyond dialogue. It's sort well, of, it, well, and, and and in fact, he says you know that 
this is what we need to learn how to do as mm -hmm. a church, as a society. Yeah. So at the end of part two, he then talks about how he applies this, or it has been applied in his reinvigoration of the synods in Rome. These are the meetings of bishops that take place every two or three years in Rome, where bishops of the world gather often. Now, he, as we know from this, this papacy, there have been a number of synods, particularly on the family and on Amazonia, which have become uh, places of, of contention. In other yes. words, there, there have been issues where people have radically disagreed with each other. Yes. And worry what, he, what he's doing is explaining how that process, uh, in, in creating that process and in bringing people together, that there is the possibility of a discernment which leads to the Holy Spirit helping to resolve the mm -hmm. issue. But the, the, that's the kind of the good news. <laughs> the bad news is that this is actually quite difficult. Yes. And he shows in what he says about the sins that actually that discernment has often not taken place. Yes. So he's yes. really talking about something that's very different here from a parliamentary debate, right? Or mm -hmm. a debating society where the idea is both sides, you know, as it were, one tries to defeat the other. No, no. This no, is about no. helping to forge something new out of the tension that exists. But sometimes we don't succeed. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to give don't the impression that, that, that the, the book is all about that because there's so much more in the in, in this book. And I do encourage people. I've been telling people that this is a book that everyone should read Catholics, non-Catholics, lover, Francis lovers and Francis haters, because I think you will you'll get to understand a little better of why he does things, why he doesn't do certain things, why he has spoken about some things and why he hasn't spoken about other things. Um, the last question I wanted to ask you, Austin. Um, so the, 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 the subtitle, Let Us Dream. The, the path to a better future. Is it the path to a better future? Is it a path to a better future? Um, what yes. is the path? Well, yeah, I mean, the path is is the path um, of uh, specifically in part three, what he outlines is how we can recover our sense of dignity as a people. And when we put, when we understand, when we grasp, because this isn't an intellectual matter, when we experience you know, a God of mercy uh, and we see that we are a gift to each other, that creation is a gift, that all is gift, and we start to organize our life around that principle, our society, our politics, our economics, then we can restore the dignity of the people. And, and we can begin to have an economy which gives people access to land, labor and lodging, which cares for the planet, a politics which mm -hmm. genuinely empowers people and so on. So I think this is, that is the path. The path is to say, how do we put fraternity and solidarity at the heart of the way we live together, rather than the myth of self-sufficiency and mm -hmm. an economy obsessed with growth and consumption. Mm -hmm. um, he sees that, I suppose, really as the key that unlocks uh, the the, the 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 paths to resolving this crisis and all the other crises which it reflects right and i would add because it might seem for people hearing it that it's it sounds very secular but it's not it's very spiritual um it's not just about making the world safer fair fairer healthier but also holier um so austin i'm gonna thank you for for having the idea and encouraging the holy father to put his thoughts down if people have not read anything else pope francis has written any encyclicals you haven't read laudato si it's too long read this book because everything is 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 summarized in there. So um, again, Austin, thank you, thank, thank you for uh, spending some time with us today to tell us uh, about the book. Been good to be with you. Thank you very much. That was a conversation I had with Austin Ivory earlier this week. Austin Ivory is the Pope's biographer, and he collaborated with Pope Francis on his latest book, "Let Us Dream: The Path to a Better Future," published by Simon and Schuster.
If you missed any part of this conversation or to listen to the rest of the show, just head to slmedia.org slash podcast. Here now is our featured artist of the week, Hannah Schaefer, with her song Wild from her album, Who I Am. You had me thinking I was on cloud nine But no, 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 no You kept me in the dark with your white lies No, no, lately I've been living inside of myself Living inside of myself You're holding my feet to the ground Pushing and pulling me down But nothing you do can keep me from breaking free That was Hannah Schaefer with Wild from her album, Who I Am. From receiving the grand prize for the gospel category at the International John Lennon Songwriting Contest to opening for the likes of Matt Marr and Father Rob Gallia, Hannah Schaefer has accomplished a lot in her 24 years. She released her first full-length album, Who I Am, earlier this year. And so I am very happy to welcome Hannah Schaefer to the program Hannah, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Oh, thank you so much for having me. <laughs> so good to have you. I know I, I mentioned uh, at the opening of the show, I mentioned that I first heard about you when we did the Be Not Afraid video. So thank you. I wanted to thank you in person for for contributing to, to that. That was great. And I should thank Sal Solo. Sal Solo was the one who told me about Hannah Schaefer. So there you go. Um, Tell me a little bit about growing up. What what was it like growing up? Did you grow up in a Catholic family? Was it a musical family? Tell me a little bit about what it was like to grow up. Uh, sure. Yeah. No. So I am a cradle Catholic. So yeah. I grew up in in a Catholic home. Um, my parents were ne not necessarily musical. My mother has a really nice voice and she's always whistling and always singing throughout the house, <laughs> especially during the holiday season. Like just right. be, like always, always something going on in the house that's uplifting sounding for sure. But um, no, I think music was just something that I had a 
really burning passion for ever since I was very little. Um, my mom to this day will always say, you know, she would put me in front of the TV uh, and I just sing and dance to Barney right. even in my playpen. And, uh, you know, growing up, I, I just, I just always wanted to be a singer. I remember telling my, my dad that at a very young age, I just want to be a singer. Right. And that never really left me ever. Yeah. Did you, do you have any brothers or sisters? I do. I do. I'm the oldest of three. Okay, good. Sisters? I have a brother and a sister. Yeah. Okay. So, and, and are any of them musical? So are you the only one who got the, the singing bug? <laughs> well, I think, I think we're all musically talented. I'm the only one that really pursued it. The right. others are more into like science and um, <clears throat> like, yeah, yeah. You know, science or math or my, my parents went into the medical field. My sister's kind of leaning that way. And okay. So, yeah, yes. good. And, and so cradle Catholic. So was it a very Catholic household? Were you like, like very Catholic parents? Very good um, mass? So, so, yeah, yeah. Going to, I mean, my, my mother um, is, is Catholic and my father is not, okay. but um, you know, they're, I, I love, I love this. My, my, my parents made a promise to each other that like, okay, you know what? It, mom, if dad can go, hunting during hunting season like i'm in the midwest so you know it's, okay, it's a very okay. com very common thing um and that's just how my dad kind of relaxes from um you know the medical world and all the craziness there but <clears throat> business world but um you know that was kind of the compromise like all right you know what like we're gonna raise we're gonna raise the kids catholic because that was super important to my mm -hmm. mother mm -hmm. and um you know that's something that my father has always made a point to to he's always with us he always took us to mass and he comes with us and he yeah um and so we were raised you, you know we were raised catholic and um so yeah, yeah i think i think so i think that would answer your question no, yes it does catholic school did you go to catholic school no i went to public school yeah mm -hmm. see i there's i don't know i don't know what our listeners would think but i have a feeling that sometimes when you have a parent who is not Catholic, but very supportive of the, of the parent very who supportive. is Catholic, then mm -hmm. I think that that has a deep impression on the children. Yes. Um, so our listeners probably have heard, but my wife is not Catholic. Um, but we've done, it sounds very similar to your parents. We chose to, you know, mm -hmm. it's important for me and my wife supports us and she comes to mass with us when the, especially when the kids were little. Yeah. Um, and I think that that has been a different kind of witness for my children. <clears throat> where, whereas when they were little, they'd be like, well, why is mom not Catholic? Mm -hmm. Or why doesn't she become Catholic? But then it just didn't, it, it just didn't, wasn't an issue because it wasn't an issue. Um, did right, you, right. Did you, growing up, did you have those questions growing up? Wondering, you know, like, why is dad, or was that not even cross your mind? Or did you even go through that teenage kind of years where you thought, I don't know about mass, or this doesn't make sense, or mm. were you... So Wow. Yeah, no, I definitely, I mean, I'm always very curious. I think that's just in my nature is to always ask why, 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 why? And I think that's the biggest reason why I'm still Catholic, if that yeah. answers your question as yes, a millennial. Yes. Um, and with, as, as someone coming from a family where both, both parents were not Catholic and I did ask, I'm like, you know, why, why isn't my father Catholic? And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I, and that was just something that, you know, the older I get, the more I realize that every single person is on their own spiritual journey yeah. and that everybody has yeah. to ask different questions at different times of their life. And so, you know, entering into high school, um, I, I always 
treated Jesus as my best friend and growing mm -hmm. up, I, was, I would literally write letters and throw them in the wind yeah. and believe, believe that Jesus. And now, now I'm like, wow, Hannah, you littered and that's not good. But, okay. but I, but I believe that, you know, Jesus was always super close to me. And so when I entered high school in public school, um, I went through a lot of really hard things as a mm -hmm. teenager, like with um, bullying and depression and uh, just trying to understand my worth, yeah. um, try, trying to see myself the way that, you know, Jesus saw me. And it was my freshman year of high school. I was, I, I, I feel, I felt like I, I had hit my low of like the only person that is truly there for me is Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I remember, I remember sitting on my bed crying late at night, like, wow, is this all real? Like, like what, like what, why do we believe in this? You know, Jesus, are you there? Because I'm hurting so much. And I, I just need to know that like this, this is real, that you are real. And in that moment, <laughs> I felt there like, like someone sat on the edge of my bed. It, like it like creaked. And mm -hmm. as if, as if Jesus was sitting right there, listening to me through my tears and and that was that was my like, you know, I had always believed I didn't fall in love with Jesus until I faced until I went through that. Yeah, that sounds like a little conversion experience. Um, thank mm -hmm. you. Um, yeah. Wow. That that's a blessing and a gift in itself, because a lot of people don't have that or they have it and don't recognize it. So you would say that that would have been a turning point for you in terms of um, you, you, when you were little, you wanted to be a singer, but did something change around that time? I was like, no, I want to sing for Jesus. Yeah, no, it, it because my faith was always something that I had no problem with. I, I, I never really went through this rebellion stage in the sense of like, like not, like not wanting. Yeah. 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 Because, because I, I had just always truly believed, and I know that's not everybody's case, um, but I had just, I just, I don't know why, I guess I just, I just did, but it was in that, in the pain that instead of like blaming God for my pain, I turned to him yeah. for comfort, yeah, like in, and, and so, um, and it was, it was shortly after that, that I realized if I wanted to sing, if I had to pick a genre, like I had to stay true to, to my heart mm -hmm. and my heart belonged to Jesus. Yeah. I think that, uh, uh, it's important to note, um, that other than singing and songwriting, you also, uh, you're also a role model and you're working with young people. Is that part, like it all comes from the same place you think for you? Uh, I definitely, as the oldest felt a lot of pressure to and I, I mean I still feel pressure yeah. from the world too because I want I want everybody to 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 become saints and I can't I can't tell you how often there's this this like conviction in my heart to like want to push people to be the best versions of themselves including myself mm -hmm. and I'm, I mean I'd say I'm probably the hardest on myself <laughs> and so um so yeah I think that does, does that answer your question? Yeah, I think it does. Um, and because um, you, you're you working, you also work, I'm uh, presuming that in the work that you do with coaching uh, younger people, you're mm -hmm. not, they're not all Catholic. 
no, 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 no. Not a Catholic. It's not ministry, but it is. Mm-hmm. So, so, and you still want the best for them. You might not use the words saint when you're working. Right. <laughs> you're still a role. You're still a role model in that sense. Oh, definitely, definitely. I just want. I just want people to be from from my experience is when I'm close to the Lord, there is true peace. There mm-hmm. is happiness, and mm-hmm. so if I could try to reflect Christ in any in the in the way that I live, in the way that I encourage, in the way that I love, um, not that I'm perfect because I'm not, but I I mean we're called to try our darndest, yeah, of right? Course. <laughs> of course. Of course. So um, I have a I have a passion to be an example for people, um, not out of pride, but out of um, like I can't, I can't deny my calling to 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 take people on this journey with Christ. Like I, mm-hmm. I, I just can't, I can't fight it. I, I, it's in my being to take people, like to, I want to tell everybody about Jesus. Yeah. So would you say that your music then, like we've been listening to to songs from your album Who I Am. I mean, who I am. I mean, really, just the title says something, something a lot there. Would you, would you think that that your music is also part of that? Like your role modeling with the music. And I know you just started a, a you're you're working on a new album, and it's it's mm-hmm. uh, going to get crowdfunded uh, through Kickstarter. So tell us a little bit about your songwriting and kind of what your hopes are for your music. Then definitely. So who I am was kind of like a conclusion. It's a of the season where I didn't know who I was. I had been listening to the lies of Satan and like all of the, the world telling me I was so-and-so, but um, it was me accepting my identity in Christ and stepping into what it meant to live a lifestyle as a Catholic, mm-hmm. like live the lifestyle as a Christian and, and embracing that in accepting, oh, wow, you know, I, Jesus, if I could see myself through the eyes of Jesus, like I should be treating myself that way mm-hmm. and that's that's kind of where the album that's why it had so much to do with identity because for so long i had not believed that right and would the next album then do you think it's like a continuation of that or are you like on the other side of the journey where where's the new the new album gonna go it's definitely way more leaning ccm so for anybody contemporary christian contemporary music Christ, it's, it's yeah, yeah. yeah less less streamy pop more organic um, nice I, i'm so excited about i mean obviously i love i love my last album but as anybody you know i'm excited for what's to come yeah and it's future. always exciting yeah it's exciting for us to hear something that is completely different so if you're going to go more organic or more acoustic that would be great um so that you're there's a kickstarter campaign we're going to put that information on our site but people can find it on your site as well um hannah it's so good to meet you um and to to talk to talk with you today and to learn a little bit about what what uh what motivates you? What uh, what lights your fire? Um, and it's, uh, <laughs> obviously, it's Jesus Christ. So thank you yeah. for what you do and for sharing uh, it with us today. Well, thank you so much for having me on. You can learn more about Hannah Schaefer at her website, hannahschafermusic.com. And if you missed any part of the interview and to listen to the whole program, you can uh, find it at our website, slmedia.org. Here now to take us out is Hannah Schaefer with Treasure from her album, Who I Am. I'm a picture-perfect mess in disguise Trying to hide it deep down within me I'm uncomfortable in my own skin Always thinking, nah, she's so pretty Wanna believe it Everything, everything you say I wanna believe it When you say
listening to Hannah Schaefer with Treasure from her album Who I Am. And that will take us to the end of this special best of edition of the Sultanite Hour. Remember to check us out at slmedia.org. That's where you can listen to all our Sultanite Hour programs and watch all our other programs. That's also where you can find out everything that you need to know about Sultanite Media and how you can support our ministry because we cannot do this without your financial support. I'd love to hear from you. Send me a note. Don't be shy. Pedro at slmedia.org where you can find me also on Facebook, on Instagram, or on Twitter. I'm Deacon Pedro. Thank you for spending this time today listening to the Salt and Light Hour.